God declares the future, and He wants you and I to know the future. And so we don't have to go to some seance. We don't have to go to some woman and get her to look in her crystal ball, both things that would be evil things to do. All we need to do is read Holy Scripture because God gives the beginning and the end. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Pastor Carl has been addressing biblical prophecy that has yet to be fulfilled in his series, God's Prophetic Schedule. Revelation chapter 13 verse 5 says, There was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. Have you ever wondered to yourself how the Great Reset will affect religion worldwide? Well, Pastor Carl will explain how this coming global religion will defy the God of Heaven. Today's sermon is entitled, The Great Religious Reset. Let's join Pastor Carl now as he begins. I want to invite you this morning to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Revelation. If you're new to the Bible, it's easy to find. It's the very last book. Uh, I'm in a series right now. Typically, I take a book of the Bible and go through it chapter by chapter, verse by verse. But right now, I'm doing a series called God's Prophetic Schedule. This is actually the 15th message in this series. We started with the rapture of the church and the rebirth of Israel. And while the rapture is a signless event, it could take place at any moment. It's what we call imminent. The second coming of Christ is a prophetically driven event. All kinds of things have to happen. And so the rebirth of Israel was a huge event. I suppose God, around 1000 AD, if he had so chosen, could have gathered the Jews from across the world and brought them back into the world and unfolded his prophetic schedule. But he didn't. He waited nearly two millennia before he did what he wrote of in the Old Testament prophets, what Jesus said in the New Testament, he gathered Israel back into the land. That's one of the super signs for the return of Jesus from heaven. And so it's important that we understand biblical prophecy. And sadly, the American pulpit today is ignoring the prophetic portions of Scripture. I think sometimes pastors don't want to be associated with the charlatans, the misguided zealots, the date setters, and all that goes with that. And so they don't speak on Bible prophecy. But nearly one-third of the Scripture is prophetic in nature, and pastors are commanded to preach the whole counsel of Scripture. So you cannot ignore Bible prophecy. And God gave us Bible prophecy to assure our hearts, to give us perspective as to what will unfold at the end of time. God himself said by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 46, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. God declares the future and he wants you and I to know the future. And so we don't have to go to some seance. We don't have to go to some woman and get her to look in her crystal ball, both things that would be evil things to do. All we need to do is read Holy Scripture because God gives the beginning and the end. Here's a chart that might help you to gain some perspective as to where we are and where things are headed. 
we saw that the next great event on God's schedule is called the rapture. The word rapture comes from the Latin translation of the Bible that was used by the church for a thousand years. Every born-again Christian believes in the rapture. It's a central doctrine to Christian faith. Now, they may debate over the timing of the rapture, but we shall all be caught up. That's the word harpazo from Latin. We get our English word from Greek to Latin, rapture. And so after the rapture takes place, there's a space of time. We don't know how long, but it appears to be short. Weeks, days, possibly months. And then there will be a man who will step on the scene known as the Antichrist the beast. There's some 30 different titles he has in Scripture. And he will sign a covenant, and that will start the clock ticking for a seven-year period known as the time of Jacob's trouble. It's the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy in Daniel 9. Uh, It's called uh, the Great Tribulation Period. There's an event right in the middle of that seven-year period that's known as the abomination of desolation. And so we have been zooming in all these different things. Of course, the second coming happens after the seven-year period unfolds. Does it happen a day after, a week after, a month after? We don't know precisely, but it's a short time. It may explain the additional days at the end of Daniel chapter 12, but even then, no man can know the exact day or the hour. And so Jesus' second coming unfolds in a series of events. Just like his first coming was not a single event, but a number of things. His birth, his being raised in Nazareth, his public ministry, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his walking on the earth for 40 days, his ascension into heaven. Even so, the second coming unfolds with this series of events. From the rapture where we meet the Lord in the air to his return to the earth where he plants his feet on the Mount of Olives. And so we study the first half of the tribulation, and Jesus outlines it for us in Matthew 24, 4 through 14. And he likens the first half of the tribulation to a woman in labor, a woman with birth pangs. And that's important. The birth pangs, as people will popularly say today, is are happening. They're not happening yet. They are yet to happen. In fact, Matthew 24, 4 through 14 perfectly parallels the sealed judgments that we studied. However, it is significant what we are witnessing with our own eyes across the world because to have labor, you have to have a pregnancy. I believe what we are witnessing today are what we might call the Braxton Hicks contractions. I'm not a woman, but I think that's how you say it. (laughs) You know, it's amazing to me I was listening to someone yesterday and they were giving testimony of their newborn baby and they say, we don't know whether we had a boy or a girl. I mean, that is just beyond belief. This is all part of the warped way of thinking that our world is embracing. And so in the middle of this seven-year period, the abomination of desolation takes place. Let me refresh your mind with the words of Jesus describing it. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, and Daniel pinpoints it right in the middle of the seven years, as does the apostle John, as does Jesus by what he describes what happens before and what happens after. 
When you see this event spoken of through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things out that are in his house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babes in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now nor ever will. So the abomination of desolation is a game changer. There's tribulation, awful things that happen in the first half. But once this event takes place, we move from the seal judgments to the trumpet and bowl judgments, and it goes from tribulation to what Jesus called great tribulation, and it is so intense, he will say a few verses later, that unless those days had been cut short, no person would have survived. Now, the abomination of desolation, I know a lot of people aren't sure what that even means, so as we've been working through Matthew 24, we're zooming in on certain particulars. So we talked about false prophets, and I had a whole sermon just on false prophets. We're speaking about the abomination of desolation that is going to kick in a globalism that the world has yet to see on three levels, governmentally, economically, and religiously. People often refer to this as the Great Reset. They say that what we are seeing in the world today is with the objective of having a great reset. Well, what their goals are, it will just be the preset for the great reset. And so it's not really anything new. The idea of wanting to change the fabric of the world goes all the way back to a man named Nimrod at the Tower of Babel who becomes a type and a picture of the coming Antichrist. In either case, some would say, well, the great flood was God's great reset. Well, it was. That was from heaven. But the first reset, so to speak, that man ever tried to pull off came through Nimrod at the Tower of Babel. And really, the greatest of all resets is going to come when Jesus returns. Now, with that said, this phrase, the great reset, as many of you know, has been coined by a man by the name of Klaus Schwab. He founded the uh, World Economic Forum in 1951. They meet every year in Davos, Switzerland. With them are the International Monetary Fund people, the World Bank, the United Nations, and over 100 countries are now represented. Presidents, prime ministers. Now, people have always, I suppose, different men in the history of the world wanted to rule the world, whether it's Lenin or Stalin or Hitler or the pharaohs or the Caesars of Rome, but none have ever been successful. But there is coming a man that the Bible records who will have worldwide domination. And if you've studied the World Economic Forum, I say they are a preset for the coming Great Reset, being the Antichrist, because they have a globalistic mentality. You see, one of the great signs that we are living at the end of time is God tells us, one, at the end of time, he'd gather Israel into the land. He waited nearly 2,000 years to do that. You cannot see the final prophetic schedule unfold unless Israel's in the land. But what we also learn in Scripture is there has to be a global mentality. And that's really what we have today through the world economic form. You see, they believe that many of the problems in the world today can be traced to nations and tribes and countries. 
But if somehow the nations of the world could come together, it would remove a lot of our problems. And so they're hoping to develop this global consciousness. And of course, what they're doing, while the term, the Great Reset, has been coined by Schwab, and people call it his brainchild, it's really not. It's Satan's brainchild. In fact, Paul tells us in the book of Acts, in the 17th chapter, that God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and boundaries of their habitation. See, they want to rid that. They want to get rid of global boundaries. There's a reason when man initially tried to rebel against God, and you can read of it in Genesis 10 and 11, that God brought Babel, the Hebrew word for confusion, where he confused the languages. Because God knew as one people under one language that evil could progress. We see it sometimes as an awful thing that we've got all these languages of the world to deal with. Actually, it's an expression of God's grace because it deters a lot of the evil that might unfold otherwise. With that said, the World Economic Forum wants to eliminate borders. Do you think it is by accident if the great senator who stood in this pulpit at one time from Texas said yesterday, he said four million, uh, 4 million immigrants, or aliens, I should say, not immigrants, aliens, from over, they say, 75 countries, have crossed the southern border into America. Now, our government tells us the border's secure. I'm not so sure. I'm not a rocket scientist, but four million people just walking over, sometimes thousands at a time, not being stopped, just entering into our country. Oh, the border's secure. Why do they want this? I think part of their immigration mentality is driven by such things like the World Economic Forum. Now, they used to kind of hide this uh, mindset that they had and But now they live stream, they invite the media in, and there's really a shared ownership that they have in terms of wanting to bring about globalism. Among other things, they want to eliminate capitalism. And by the way, 52% of millennials now say that they are in favor of socialism. You say, does it really matter? It does matter because socialism is a denial of what God has written of in Scripture. God teaches that you can own personal property. If someone owns personal property, then indeed the commandment thou shalt not covet would make sense. If someone owns personal property, then the commandment thou shalt not steal will make sense. But the World Economic Forum at their most recent meeting in Davos tweeted this out, welcome, they said, to 2030. I own nothing, have no prophecy, and life has never been better. That's the mindset. In regards to the recent COVID pandemic, Schwab wrote these words. The pandemic represents a rare but narrow window of opportunity to reflect, reimagine, and reset our world. So for them, COVID was not viewed as a catastrophe, but as an opportunity to further bring about globalism. 
Now, what is happening through the World Economic Forum will someday be realized through the Antichrist because the WEF has goals on three levels. Again, economically, we'll look at that more next time. Religiously, we'll look at that today and some more next time as well. And governmentally, three different levels. Now, do you think among, remember, it used to be called the New World Order. That's what they used to call it. Now their new phrase is the Great Reset. And the other phrase that the World Economic Forum uses is called Build Back Better. Do you think it is by accident that our president's signature bill is titled Build Back Better? There was a bill just written called the Inflation Reduction Act that most of you are familiar with, and it's dubbed, quote, the single largest investment in climate action in U.S. history and will profoundly alter the international landscape. When they met in May in Davos, one-third of all the talks and seminars concerned global warming. Why? Because they recognized the pandemic was an opportunity to reflect, reimagine, and reset our world because when you have a crisis, the nations of the world come together. And so really for the first time in recorded history, the nations of the world came together via COVID like we had never ever seen before. Why do you suppose our government wants to spend money into oblivion? I believe, and there's no doubt in my mind, and I hope to prove it to you in the next few weeks, to bankrupt the American economy and the nations of the world. See, if America goes down economically, the nations of the world will go down economically. The other world economies are principally indexed to the U.S. economy. And again, it will be a perfect, ripe environment for a new way in which to deal and handle money. And so what we're looking at today is the global religion reset. There's going to be a reset on the religious realm. Understand the World Economic Forum is not simply interested in economic reforms, but worldwide government reforms and, yes, religious reform. Now, with that said, I want to read our text, Revelation 13. If you don't have a Bible, you should come to meet the pastor. You will be lost in the sermons I preach without a Bible. It would be like going to a map reading course without a map. You need one here. I know you don't in most churches today, but you need one here. Revelation 13, beginning now in verse 1. And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads. And on his horns were ten diadems. And on his heads were blasphemous names. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard. And his feet were like those of a bear. And his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power in his throne in great authority. I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain. And his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. They worshiped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast? And who is able to wage war with him? There was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name in his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. It was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. 
All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who has been slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is destined for activity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and faith of the saints. Now again, notice how the chapter opens. Verse 1, and the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Remember, the chapter and verse divisions are added almost a millennium after the Bible is completed. It helped us to find where we were at this morning. We don't have all these scrolls, and I say, turn your scroll 50 times, and you'll be about where I want you to be. No, we have codexes, books, Bibles, with all 66 books in them, and they're divided. But sometimes the chapter and verse divisions can be distracting. If you look back at chapter, seven, uh, chapter 12 and verse 17, and by the way, I'm going to review just a little bit for those who are new, but I know that repetition is the master teacher, and I want us to get this. Some lady last week said, I had no idea what you were talking about. Now, she'd only been a Christian a week, <laughs> and, and I get that. But understand, there's something here for everyone. But the Bible is like learning math. First, you learn the numbers, then how to add, and eventually, maybe you'll learn even calculus. And so just pay attention. It will grow and it will develop your knowledge of Scripture and it will change your life. Verse 17 of chapter 12 says, So the dragon, who by the way is identified in verse 8 of that chapter as being the devil and Satan, most of the revelation is interpreted within the revelation or from Old Testament passages. So the dragon or Satan was enraged with the woman, the woman in the 12th chapter, of course, is Israel, and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. The woman, Israel, is identified in the 12th chapter as having birthed the Messiah. The Messiah's salvation, Jesus said, is from the Jew. Messiah comes from the tribe of Judah, from the family of David. And of course, those Jews who uh, did not Flee to the wilderness, as Jesus admonished us to do, or those Jews to do in Matthew 24. They probably will go to Petra, but somehow in the wilderness there'll be some supernatural protection. Those Jews who either didn't heed that, or Gentiles who come to faith through the Jewish witnesses, were told that the evil one makes war with the rest of her children. And notice how they're described in verse 17 of that chapter. Their children, the rest of her children, speaking of believers, are those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Listen, when you're saved, your life changes. And if your life has never fundamentally changed, it just means you, you were not saved. The text says here they keep the commandments and they hold to the testimony of Jesus. They don't renounce him. They confess him. And that's what a true believer does because if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. His old life has passed away and everything's become brand new. There's a lot of deceived so-called evangelicals today who say, oh, I've been saved. I may live like the devil, but I've been saved. Not according to the New Testament. It is true a believer can get out of fellowship with God, but if you have been saved, the direction of your life will change, and if it hasn't, you better change your religion because you don't have the real thing. Now, notice there's, if you remember, we discussed it last time, there's this satanic trinity that is operating during this seven-year period. 
Satan takes the place of God the Father. The Antichrist takes the place of God the Son. And the false prophet, whom we'll look at next time, he will serve like the Holy Spirit, and he will point men to the Antichrist. So Satan, we're told, in the 12th chapter, has only a short time, 42 months. So he goes wide open through his Antichrist to persecute those who find the Lord during that time. Now, we're told in the Revelation, in the very opening verse, if you pull up Revelation 1.1, here's the King James, and here's how the margin of the New American Standard that most of you have reads. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place, and he sent and communicated it by his angel. Or you could render it, he signified it by his angel. He signified it. And so the revelation is filled with signs. And most of the signs within the revelation are interpreted from revelation or from the Old Testament itself. I mentioned to you last time there are 404 verses in the book of Revelation. 300 are allusions to the Old Testament. And never once does it say, well, Moses said or David said or Isaiah wrote. No, it's just an allusion to the Old Testament. And so you have to go back and dig. And God has a purpose in that. Because when you go back and dig, it sticks. And it changes your life. And so we're told that he has only a short time. And he's likened to a beast coming up out of the sea. Now the word sea is used in both English and in the Bible, both sides of the Bible. Either literally of an actual body of water or figuratively of a mass of people. He comes up out of the sea. I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. We use it sometimes that way in English. We say, well, you look at that sea of people, so to speak. So if the Antichrist is coming up out of the sea, which we let Scripture interpret Scripture, and we looked at a number of passages last time. If you weren't here, you might want to go back and listen to the message. We saw that that was symbolic from the Old Testament of the Gentile nations of the world. So if the Gentile nations of the world is the place in which the Antichrist comes, do we know from what Gentile nations he comes? And of course, the answer is yes. The book of Daniel identifies that the Antichrist, the man of sin, the little horn, the man of great countenance, he will come from a revived Roman Empire. There will be 10 nations. There will be an 11th that will come up amongst them. And that 11th will overthrow the 10, and he will give leadership to that coalition of people and ultimately confirm himself to be God. Um, and so notice he comes up out of the sea. The sea. It's articular. So what sea is he referring to? The Galilean Sea, the Red Sea, the Dead Sea? No, the Great Sea, the Mediterranean Sea. How do we know that? Look at verse 2. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. John is using the identical imagery that the prophet Daniel uses, describing that region of the world that the Roman Empire encompassed. It's from that region that this beast will come. If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program God's Prophetic Schedule 
1-800-273-0814. Don't forget that tomorrow Pastor Carl will be live in the studio for his live call-in program, The Bible Line. If you have a question you would like to ask Pastor Brogy personally, you can do that tomorrow between 11 and noon Eastern. You can also listen to The Bible Line online at wagp.net. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to search the scriptures.